Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching, The Prosperity of God. You know, last week I shared a message called An Abundant Life, An Abundant Supply. And I thought at the time it was going to be a standalone message. But I really felt impressed to spend a little more time on the subject of prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I'm primarily going to talk today about financial prosperity. I really felt like I needed to spend a little bit more time on the topic because there is a prosperity coming to the church in proportions that we've never seen before. We need to be prepared to handle it. And the reason for that is this. It takes money to fund the gospel all over the world, and there are billions yet to be reached. So it's good that we spent some time last week cultivating a vision of what overflowing, abundant, uncontainable riches look like in the financial arena. We're going to need it so that the church will be able to do what we've been called to do. Amen. So this week, we're going to kick off a series called The Prosperity of God, and this will be part one, and we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 18, and we're going to dig a little deeper into Deuteronomy 8.18 than we did last week. But before we do that, I want to introduce some biblical symbolism that you may or may not be familiar with that will help you apply this passage, Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 through 18, to your everyday life. So when the Israelites came out of Egypt, it was a type of the born-again experience. Think about it. Egypt was a type of the world, and leaving Egypt was a type of turning your back, leaving the world, and placing all your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. So then crossing the Red Sea is a type of water baptism. And here's the part we're going to talk about this morning. And the time they spent in the wilderness was a type of the Lord chastening His children so that they would learn to trust Him completely for all of their needs. So by the time you get to Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is preparing the Israelites through the leadership of Moses to enter the land that God had promised them as an everlasting possession. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 18. I'm going to be reading from the New King James. I'll read some, I'll share some, I'll read some, I'll share some. So just keep some of this symbology in your mind as you, as you read through with me. Verse 1, every commandment which I command you today you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Remember, Jesus said that to the devil when he was tempted, and the devil said, if you're the Son of God, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was quoting what we call Deuteronomy 8, 3. Verse 4, listen to this, this is wild. Remember, 40 years in the hot, dry desert. Your garments did not wear out on you. How'd you like your favorite outfit to last for 40 years? Nor did your foot swell these 40 years. How'd you like to walk 20 miles a day in the desert and your feet not hurt or even swell up? You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. That word there, fear him, means to honor him, reverentially honor the Lord. Notice that God chastened them like children. Yet, he supernaturally provided them with everything they needed, just like human parents do. Good fathers and mothers chasten and discipline their children, but they also make sure every one of their needs is met. Isn't that right? Why? So that they would learn to trust him for every need to be met. He fed them with manna from heaven, which Psalm 78.25 describes as angel food. How'd you like to eat angel food? You know, angel food probably gave them supernatural sustenance so they could walk 20 miles a day without their feet swelling. I wonder if they sweated. I don't know. But their clothes didn't wear out, even if they got sweat on them. So it's pretty amazing. Their clothes never wore out. Their feet never swelled as they walked the desert mile after mile after mile. And that is quite amazing. He fed them. He clothed them. And he kept them healthy. Now, some of you may not remember back when you first got born again. Some of you are getting a little older, you know. Some of you, maybe it's just been a few years. But remember what it was like when you first got born again? It was like every prayer you prayed was answered instantly. And every need that you had was met with little or no effort on your part. But when you started to grow and mature in your faith, God began expecting more from you. He began to expect you to live by faith. There are numerous times in the Old and the New Testament where it says the just or the righteous, shall live by faith. Living by faith is a lifestyle. That's why we call this church Faith Life. We want to teach you how to live a faith life. Not just uh, something you do on Sunday, but a way of life, a faith life. Amen. Verse 7, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. 
a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Notice the shift that's occurring here as they prepare to go into the promised land. In the desert, water was scarce and had to be supernaturally provided. God brought it out of the rocks so they could drink to the full. They had no means of planting crops, and there were no minerals of any worth that they could dig out of the desert. So God had to provide their every need. This is why I believe, listen to me, this is why I believe that crossing the Jordan River into the promised land was a type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the progression from spiritual babyhood into spiritual maturity for the new covenant believer. Listen, even though they took over cities and houses they did not build, crops they did not plant, and wells they did not dig, they had to fight to gain them, and they had to work hard to maintain them. And eventually they had to build more cities, more houses, plant more crops, dig more wells as they grew and they multiplied. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Now, this is a little bit of a side journey, but this flinty rock is an interesting you know, phrase. It's talking about flint rock. What happens when you strike flint rock with another sharp object? You get sparks. You get fire, right? So what do you get normally? From flint, you get fire from flint, which is a type of judgment. But out of the flint rock, instead of fire, God caused water to come forth. The water of life, amen. A type of the river of life that flows from heaven above, amen. He didn't bring us what the flinty rock was supposed to bring us. He brought us the opposite. Instead of fiery judgment, He brought us the blessing of water, the water of life. Amen. It was a side journey, but a good one. Verse 16. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Verse 18, God begins to correct this notion. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. 
that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Amen. We talked about this last week. This is the fundamental verse that tells us exactly why God wants us to prosper financially. It's so that his covenant can prosper all over the earth. And the covenant we are now in is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And God wants that covenant spread all over this planet. And as many people entering into covenant with Jesus as possible before this whole thing wraps up. Amen. Glory to God. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Listen, God still provided everything they needed when they got into the promised land, but instead of just doing it miraculously on, with no effort on their part, he now gave them the capacity to use what, what he had provided to meet their needs through the work of their own hands. But remember, he said to them, it was God who gave you the health, the education, the skills, and the intellect to build and create or to work a job, to earn wages, to provide for your needs than the needs of your family. God gave you everything you have. Don't talk about my money and God's money. It's all God's money. He's just asking for a small portion of his money to show him that you trust him. Amen. Glory to God. So let's talk about foundational principles of prosperity that I gleaned from Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 18. Four points with a couple, three subpoints in each point. So keep up if you can. Sorry I didn't put them on the slides. Number one, God is the author of prosperity, of every kind, including financial. And if God is the author of prosperity, then there must be a right way to preach it, and there must be a right way to live it. Therefore, it is wrong to portray all preachers who preach or teach on prosperity as charlatans or as false prophets. Number two, Remember the Lord your God when it comes to your wealth, when it comes to, quote-unquote, your money. Realize that it all belongs to him anyway. He either gave you wealth outright or he gave you the capacity to earn it. Number three, put your faith in God's ability to provide for all your needs. Put your faith in God's ability to provide for all your needs. He can do it miraculously with no effort on your part. Or more likely, as you grow and mature in him, he can do it through a job, through something you create, something you build, or a seed that you sow. Number four, give as a corresponding action of your faith. To establish God's covenant in the earth. You know, God entered into covenant with Abraham and with his seed. He promised that in his seed, that is in Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Deuteronomy 22:18. So the motive for your giving should be that others might be blessed, that others might enter into a covenant relationship with the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Christ, our Lord. 
that should be your primary motive for giving. Amen. I know that came hard and fast. Praise the Lord. But this is recorded. It will be on the podcast if you want to listen to it again. There's going to be two more sessions after this before we're done. I'm going to make a statement here that I think it's important to say, and then I'm going to prove it to you in the Scripture so that nobody can say that I just came up with it on my own. Prosperity, including financial prosperity, is the will of God for mankind. I'll say it again. Prosperity, including financial prosperity, is the will of God for mankind. Psalm 35, 27. New King James. The psalmist says, Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Amen. Right there it is in the Bible. But you know there's more. This word that is translated as prosperity is the Hebrew word shalom. The Hebrew word shalom means health, physical and emotional, financial prosperity, peace, wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, everything taken care of, no worries, no fear, no anxiety. It is prosperity in the most complete sense of the word in every area of your life, every part of your being, spirit, soul, and body. So let's read it again with that in mind. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity, in the shalom of his servant. Amen. John 20, 19 through 21. This is after Jesus had been raised from the dead and the disciples are holed up in a, in a house hiding from the Jews because they, quite frankly, were afraid that they were going to be next to be crucified. John 20, verse 19 to 21. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, this word peace is the Greek equivalent of shalom. It means peace and or prosperity, emotional, physical health. It means peace and prosperity in every sense of the word. And Jesus, the very first thing he says to them after he's raised from the dead is, I want you to receive the shalom of God that I bought and paid for. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Why don't you receive the peace that I give you? And now you take it to the nations. Amen. Hallelujah. So as I said, the word peace here in both places it is used in this passage comes from the Greek word, which means peace and or prosperity in every sense of the word. 
And if Jesus had been speaking Hebrew, he would have said shalom to you. Shalom. He might have even given them the Spock sign and said, live long and prosper. I know that sounds like a cheesy sci-fi joke, but Spock was of Ukrainian Jewish descent. And this was an actual Jewish Hebrew greeting, which meant live long and prosper. It was a real thing. Star Trek fact number one. File that away. Amen. The next time you see a rerun and he does that, you're going to go, now I know what he was doing. He was slipping to that Jewish shalom, giving that to us. Amen. So notice that the first time Jesus speaks peace over his disciples, he shows them his hands and the wound in his side. In other words, I think he was saying, here's the evidence that I'm alive and I have paid the price for your peace and your prosperity in every area of your life. Don't doubt it. Then he speaks peace or prosperity over them once again before he commissions them to preach the gospel of peace, which includes prosperity. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That is a direct quote from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7. And when he speaks that word peace, it is our old familiar Hebrew word, shalom. Peace in your mind, peace in your body, health in your mind, health in your body, wholeness, prosperity, finances, every need met, nothing missing, nothing broken. That's what he's saying here. Preach that gospel to the nations. Jesus died to give all of it to you. He died that we might have an abundant life. Amen. Ephesians 6, 14 and 15. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There it is again. Same word the Greek equivalent of shalom. Amen. 3 John 2 in the King James Version. I just love the poetry of the way it is said in the King James. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now, I want you to just meditate for just a minute on this. John, who was influenced and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, therefore you could say this is what God is saying, right? Can we not say that about Scripture? It is the Word of God, even though it was written by men. It was written by men. The Bible says who were inspired by the breath and inspiration of God. So the way you really need to read this and look at yourself in the mirror and Read this to yourself and realize this is God speaking to you. 
This is the Father God saying, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and you may be in health and your soul would prosper. Amen. It's God speaking to you. 3 John 2 in the Amplified Classic is even better. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in every way, every way, and that your body may keep well, even as I know your soul keeps well and prospers. Amen. Emotional health, physical health, and financial abundance coming into your life. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants to prosper you in every area of your life, in every part of your being, spirit, soul, and body. And he sent Jesus to pay the price and seal the deal. This is not the gospel of prosperity, but it is part of the deal. We just need more balanced biblical teaching on the subject of prosperity in the body of Christ so that we can learn to live the abundant life that Jesus came to secure for us. John 10.10. Again, last week I read it in New King James, but I love the poetry of the way it reads in the King James Version. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And that word abundantly we found out last week was abundance, overflow, uncontainable. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I have given you the witness of Moses, the witness of David, the witness of Jesus, the witness of Paul, and the witness of John, praise God. And they all say the same thing. Prosperity is the will of God for mankind. So that he may establish his covenant in Jesus throughout the whole earth, but also that he might abundantly meet the needs of his beloved. That's you and me. So we'll take it from there, and we'll continue next week with the prosperity of God, part two. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, The Prosperity of God. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 1030 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.